welcome to our Polaris podcast. So I am your host, Jeremy Whitbeck, and a partner of Polaris Wealth Advisory Group. And we have with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner. Jeff, great to have you. Good to be here, Jeremy. So Jeff, I am really excited to go over our topic today. This is one that uh, we get to uh, really look at and talk about each and every year, and that is year-end tax planning. It's hard to believe that uh, we're already in the uh, month of December, getting close to the end of the year, but um, eager to hear your thoughts and insights as to how we can best uh, prepare for the upcoming 2021. Yeah, um, not only are we uh, in December, but we're halfway through December. So if you're going to act upon some of these things, you really only have a, a couple of weeks to make sure that you kind of wrap things up. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when, when you're asking about, you know, tax planning for year end uh, would be to sit there and do as much tax loss harvesting as you possibly can at the end of the year. Um, I hate taking taxes and portfolios at the end of the year. We only do it if we really see that there is uh, risk to the portfolio, something of that nature. We really want to make sure that we're not, A, causing taxes, because, I mean, if you're going to take a hit right now, you're paying for it in four months. So why not sit there and do the opposite? Why not sit there and go through what's been happening during the course of, of the year, uh, look at your realized and unrealized gain of losses, make sure you're matching your short-term and long-term gains properly, and offset of it uh, as much as possible. Uh, you know, bottom line behind it is if you can do as much as you can, a tax dollar today is better than paying it, you know, it's better to put that off as long as you possibly can or to lessen it. Uh, and today's dollars, where the, today's dollars are more expensive than tomorrow's dollars. So uh, the first thing I would throw out, well, do do uh, an asset allocation check, do a uh, a you know, overall tax harvesting check, and and try to offset as much of that as you possibly could. Yeah, Jeff. And to be clear with our strategies, is this something that we do for our clients, or is it something that they need to ask us to do? No, they don't have to do it. We we automatically do it within our portfolio. So uh, what I would definitely say is, I mean, obviously for our clients that uh, uh, where we don't manage 100% of their money. Uh, it would be good for them to perhaps share with us uh, what they are doing away from us uh, so we can understand, A, you know, are they doing a good job or are they not doing a good job, uh, but also, you know, something that, that is happening away from us might have a dire consequence on them financially. Uh, so keeping us in the loop with what's happening, we can at times coordinate efforts. Uh, so if there is a, a big gain in one area, not that we really have any losses left to, to take here, but we would be able to offset in most years at least some of it. So that, that open communication is really key in order for us to be able to do our jobs as effectively as possible. One last question here on this, Jeff. This is a, an area that I see that people sometimes get tripped up, and that is the difference between long-term versus short-term. Does it matter um, with regard to the two that they be matched perfectly? So, for example, if I locked in, say, $50,000 of long-term capital gains, do I have to have long-term losses to offset that, or can I use short-term as well? Uh, you normally you need to, to match item for item uh, is is what you need to be doing. But but beyond it, I mean, like for example, let's just say that you had a bunch of uh, long term uh, gains. Uh, you don't want to offset those with short term losses because the tax ramifications are different depending on where you are with the tax bracket. So you want to offset uh, like like item to like item. 
Um, and then if you're not able to uh, do it fully, then you carry it forward into the next year. And what you really want to do, again, is talk to your financial advisor about that so that we can continue to offset as much as possible. And when we're talking about like a dollar today, what we're really talking about is inflation uh, and, you know, also looking at a dollar, you know, the, the valuation of the dollar. Dollar's been d diminishing in value compared to its peers. But, again, minimally, uh, if you're looking at inflation, a dollar tomorrow is going to be worth 98 cents, 97 cents. So offsetting full dollar to full dollar now makes more sense than waiting next to, you know, waiting until next year where it's worth 97 cents or the year after that and it's worth 94. You're, you're losing value by not taking advantage of, of offsetting as quickly as you possibly can in a current year that you can. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that, Jeff. And I think sometimes uh, something that's not as well known is that the tax code requires things to be netted together. And a short-term loss, for example, is worth more than a long-term loss because the short-term tax rates are much higher. And so the more that you can be proactive and, and really optimize that, the better. And that's a great conversation to have with your Polaris Wealth Advisor because a lot of times tax dollars are left on the table because it wasn't done in a manner that's uh, most optimal. So appreciate uh, uh, that explanation. Yeah, Jeremy, let's take one step further. Um, so I think that you, you, your point is a strong enough one that we really need to drive home the point. So somebody's in the highest tax bracket. They're getting taxed at 37% uh, on ordinary income. Um, their capital gains is at 20. Uh, so if you have a short-term loss and you're offsetting it against a long-term gain, you know, 37 against 20, you're losing money by offsetting that in that fashion. So, um, you know, while it's not a requirement, it, it is something that you should be doing on an active basis in order to take advantage of it as much as possible, which, which is why I kind of hesitated a little bit because the tax laws in days past did require, you know, matching like to like, but for tax purposes and, and maximizing your dollar is really what we're talking about, why you want to do that rather than being required to do it. Absolutely. And Jeff, uh, as we go into 2021, uh, another area that uh, we have a limited amount of time left is to try to reduce the amount of income that's recognized for the year. Any strategies that you have um, that you recommend to people to try to reduce the income that they're going to uh, pay taxes on? Well, uh, another one that jumps out is if you have a maxed out your retirement plan to do so. Uh, if you work for yourself, you could uh, set up an individual 401k plan, for example, and depending on your age, max it out. So you're either in the 19 and change range or you're up in, in the 20, uh, mid 20,000 range of what you can max out your, your number. So again, uh, 19.5 or uh, you're up at $26,000 for maxing uh, if you're doing catch up provisions. Um, you could also pair that again, got to do it this year and it, it's going to be tricky to get it done and funded, but you could also pair that with a profit sharing plan. So, you could, in, in theory, I mean, if you're making $100,000, for example, you could take that first $26,000 and set that aside, max that out, and then get the, uh, the remaindermint of what you're doing uh, within your portfolio and throw that into a, a profit-sharing plan. You could take another 25% of that, so $18,500 would be what you'd be able to put in to your profit-sharing plan on top of the $26,000. Uh, so you'd be able to, to set aside for yourself a total of $44,500, which would obviously have a pretty material difference on what you're going to end up paying the, the government. You could either pay them based upon making a hundred grand and setting aside no money for yourself or setting aside $44,000 pre-tax and not have to pay them anything. 
uh, on that money. So uh, it, and it runs the the chance of knocking you down and depending on, you know, if you're filing single or, or joint or whatever, it might even lower you in tax brackets in order to be able to do that. So that's one that we, we uh, suggest significantly. Um, I think a lot of people are also kind of forgetting about uh, gifting in a year like t- this year uh, where you're, you're running into situations where uh, parents, you know, they've, they've gotten a little bit financially hurt in the beginning of the year. They kind of put in the back of their mind that they were thinking about doing their annual gifting to the uh, children uh, down a level, uh, but it's a great way of, of being able to pass on long-term wealth. Uh, keep in mind that you have over an $11 million lifetime credit, uh, but it's $15,000 per person per year. Uh, so we're in the last couple of weeks of the year. I've actually run into this uh, in a couple of conversations with clients uh, just in the last kind of a week or two where kids going out and he's buying a property or something along those lines. The parents really want to pass on wealth. But one of the easiest ways of doing it, gift them now. I mean, two parents, one child, you're talking about being able to do 30000 If that child's married, you could double it. So husband and wife pass on money to their son. Now, that's 30000 Husband and wife pass on money to their daughter-in-law. There's another 30000 So you could be putting $60,000 towards their down deposit uh, right now, and you could replicate it in a couple weeks. And all of a sudden, you're talking about $120,000 that you passed from one generation to the other without any tax ramifications, nor is it tax, nor is it going against their lifetime exemption. So just another thing to think about. If you do gift and you are thinking about doing that and you're thinking about it at your rent, uh, to, to go ahead and, and do that. The other really major thing that I'm hearing a lot of, uh, again, going back to kind of the year-end planning, is a lot of people are calling almost in a panic, going, oh, my gosh, I don't think I've taken my required minimum distribution for the year. Yes, you know, just a reminder, there isn't one this year. So uh, with the CARES Act, uh, there's no uh, um, uh, required minimum distribution. A lot of our clients, however, have in days past used that to give that money directly to charity. And so then the question becomes, okay, well, I still want to do my annual you know, charitable gifts, uh, which again is something for tax planning to be to, to be doing now. Um, our suggestion is obviously to not take it out of the require uh, their the required minimum distribution uh, for this year. It's to take it out of their taxable account and actually, rather than offsetting the taxes that they'd normally pay with taking their RMD, to actually get a real tax credit. So it's another thing that they should be talking to their accountant in advance, saying, "Oh, by the way, I've got this money." I'm setting it aside. I'm setting aside 10 grand for, you know, my five, you know, three or four favorite charities uh, that I'm sending money to. How does that impact my taxes? So, uh, again, might be something that lowers them uh, in their overall tax bracket. Yeah, Jeff, that's, uh, that's a great suggestion. Any recommendations as to the type of stock that people should plan on um, passing over to a qualified charity? So, for example, should they be doing stock that's been relatively flat, depreciated, appreciated in value. Are there any benefits to one over the other? Yeah, I mean, and this is something, again, kind of tricky. So if you're giving money to a charity, uh, obviously the more highly appreciated the investment, uh, the better, uh, because uh, when it goes over to a 501c3 company, uh, when they sell it, it's done completely without taxes, and you're passing on uh, something. So if you're going to Set aside $10,000 and you've got a $1,000 cost basis on it. You're not paying anything for the capital gain. So when giving money uh, to charity, if you want to give a highly appreciated investment like stock to them, that's the best way of doing it. When you're trying to give uh, to your children, on the other hand, and trying to maximize it, you want to do the exact opposite. You want to sit there and either give them cash 
or give them something that hasn't appreciated because uh, the child will assume your tax basis. So if you were to turn around in the same situation and give one of your boys, for example, Jeremy, uh, a $10,000 gift of stock and at a $1,000 cost basis, they would sell it. They would have to pay taxes on the $9,000 gain. So it doesn't really become a $10,000 gift anymore. It's a $10,000 gift minus the tax ramifications. That's a great point. And Jeff, I think that's one of the often overlooked strategies is that you can gift away some of your appreciated stock. And if you feel that strongly about it, you can take what you would have given the charity in cash and just repurchase it and reset your cost basis. So one of the things that uh, you can do to try to minimize your, uh, your taxes there. Um, Jeff, another one that's come up, and this is especially uh, attractive because there's not an R&D requirement for 2020, and that's potentially uh, doing Roth conversions. Can you kind of walk through why that might be uh, desirable this year and, and what that is? Well, I mean, doing a Roth conversion is when you're taking money from a, uh, a type of IRA where you've had uh, no deductible or you've had it, it's 100% taxable money. You don't want to be doing this with a contributory IRA where you've had uh, no ability to deduct it because some of that's already built into it. But typically what you're doing is you're moving money from an IRA rollover uh, into a Roth, uh, converting it now in today's dollars, knowing that you, in the future that you will not have to uh, pay any taxes on it, but you're willing to pay taxes today to convert in order to be able to have that money being left alone in the future and not have yourself subjected to things like required minimum distributions. And one of the, the reasons why I mentioned this strategy might be attractive today is because there's not an R&D requirement, a lot of times people are having much less income recognized this year, and they may be in a very low tax bracket. And so we certainly can utilize some of that with the Roth conversion this year um, and take advantage of what are probably going to be some of the lower tax brackets that we see. Uh, and that kind of brings us to the last point, which is looking forward into 2021, there's been a lot of talk about the uh, – tax brackets and if they're going to change or not change, can you just share us a little bit as to what may be happening and just how we should think or plan for that going forward? Yeah, I think you got to look at it kind of on two levels, uh, Jeremy. you got to look at it on a state level as well as on the federal level. Um, if you're looking at what COVID has done to this country from a, a support standpoint, uh, almost every state is suffering financially. Uh, and a lot of the states throughout the United States are talking about increasing taxes uh, as an offset to that. Uh, they need to, to either build off of property taxes, state income taxes, whatever else that you're talking about. There's a, a state of California has definitely been talking about it, uh, as, as have many other states that are out there. So you want to certainly be, be eyeing it from a, uh, a state level, but uh, on top of it on a federal level. Uh, the federal level really kind of comes down to early January with the senatorial uh, elections in Georgia. If Georgia uh, goes completely blue, then the likelihood of having a federal tax increase pretty substantial. If we're looking at having a Republican-controlled Senate, I think that the probabilities go down. And so really, again, if you're trying to make some decisions this year with trying to predict what's going to happen with uh, taxes in the next, you just may want to hedge your bets. I mean, uh, I'm not normally one to try to guess at what our government's going to do. It's typically it's something that's uh, uh, not best. But if you are concerned that uh, taxes are going to increase this year, uh, then realizing gains uh, in today's dollars, uh, whilst it's not fun, may be a lot better than having it in tomorrow's dollars, but having it at a higher tax bracket. So just something worth at least looking at. 
so kind of back to what you were saying with the Roth conversions, with uh, having a potentially lower income, well, we've certainly seen a, a rebound going on with regard to employment. Um, it, it's not saying necessarily that wages are going up. So even though we have uh, had a high savings rate, we've had uh, a, a rebound in unemployment. If you've had a disruption in your income and you've got, uh, you know, other ways of looking at it, doing a conversion during the course of this year or taking advantage of some of the other things that we're talking about with setting aside the maximum you possibly can uh, in retirement, again, will have a much greater benefit for you on, on a longer term basis. Yeah, no, that's, those are all really great points, Jeff, and uh, certainly something that we'll be getting a lot more information on in the, uh, the upcoming weeks. I think the thing that I'd like to leave it with is there's a lot that we can do to plan for, for taxes, and we're certainly just uh, in the tip of the iceberg, especially when it comes to retirement plans and uh, and things that take a little bit more time to uh, to successfully implement. But one thing I'd like to say to our audience is that if any of these are even remotely hitting home, schedule a time to speak with your wealth advisor. So there's still time to get these things done, um, and we can make a significant impact on the 2020 uh, tax filing that comes uh, here on April 15th. So as always, Jeff, really appreciate your time, your expertise, and uh, the strategies that you shared with us today. Of course. Good talking with you. Yeah, you as well. And so everyone, happy holidays, and as always, be safe and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.